This is the second sermon in the series of homilies on the Divine Liturgy. We began last week with the first sermon, and I said at that time that before I begin talking about the actual text of the liturgy itself, I want to lay the foundation of who it is we are worshiping and who we are because of him. And in order to do that, we must begin in the beginning with creation. So today's sermon is really going to be a Bible study. Uh, a beginning of a Bible study of the first chapter of Genesis. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are what I like to refer to as reverse prophecy. This section of the Bible is unique in that it is telling us things that only God is the eyewitness to. These events, especially the acts of creation, the first six days of creation, were observed only by God himself. And through divine revelation, this knowledge, this narrative, this history was imparted to Moses. We would have no idea how we got here how the world was created if God had not chosen Moses as a special vessel and revealed to him everything. You'll recall when you read the life of Moses, at least twice he went up on the mountain with, with God for 40 days. He ate nothing, he drank nothing. He was totally caught up in God. Well, what happened during those 40 days? Well, we know that at least part of that was imparting to Moses this history. And God was not making up a fairy tale or fables or mythology. He was, he was showing Moses reality and truth. The nearly universal consensus of the church down through the centuries has been that this account of creation is to be taken literally, not metaphorically, not allegorically, not mythologically. It does not mean that this account does not have a spiritual meaning or an allegorical meaning or a metaphorical meaning, but it means that underneath all of it is a real account of what happened that only God saw, but he imparted it to Moses. And really, it was only with the introduction of evolution by Charles Darwin that many parts of Christendom began to doubt the authenticity of the creation narrative. It's important to note that Charles Darwin and his colleagues were motivated by hatred for God. 
It was not just merely scientific curiosity that motivated these people. They had a hatred for God. They had a hatred for Christendom. They had a hatred for Christ. They had a hatred for all of the moral impositions put upon them by the Christian faith, especially sexual morals and limitations. They did not want to be limited in any way in their sexual behavior. And so they wanted to get rid of God, get rid of the church. This is also true of Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood. She was especially intent upon the extermination of black people. And to this day, Planned Parenthood continues its genocide upon the African-American population. All these things, evolution, Planned Parenthood, so many socialist, communistic, Marxist ideas are all tied together and united together in hatred for God, for Christ, and for the church. And so this attack upon the integrity of the Genesis account was a key foundation in trying to undermine the authority of the church. And so many people have fallen prey to this and have just swallowed this mythology of evolution when it really is just a fairy tale. Not only is evolution totally contradictory to Holy Scripture, it is unsupported by modern science, and it has been proven to be a total impossibility. My children in Christ, therefore let us approach the book of Genesis with total faith and trust in the reliability and the accuracy of this account of the beginnings of our world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. In the beginning, God. First four words of the Holy Bible. In the beginning, God. That is all that existed. And even the word exist does not even explain God. God is beyond our comprehension. We think of God existing before time, but even time is not a, not a concept that applies to God or space or anything. All we can say about God is that He has been, He is, and ever will be, and He has always been in three divine persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfectly united in one nature. This is who God is, the best that we can explain or describe. God brought the world into existence out of nothing. Ex nihilo in Latin. This is contradictory to almost all world religions that teach that somehow everything has always existed and, and has been shaped and manipulated by God or gods. 
But Christianity expresses the truth that at one time, before time, there was nothing. There was just God in three persons. And as I explained last week, God was never alone. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always existed in perfect communion and love with each other. So God was never alone. He was never lonely. He was never bored. Now you and I, if we were alone, if we were the only creature in the whole world, we would be lonely and bored and, and desperate. But God was never that way. God brought the world into existence out of nothing. And this is the only explanation for what we see all around us. If you press an evolutionist to explain the source of the what they call the primordial slime, little pond out in the middle of whatever, with some gunk or slime or whatever, gobbledygook, just sitting there waiting for something to happen. Even if, they, even if you grant them that, if you ask them, where did that come from? <clears throat> they have no answer. The best they can do, some of them say, <clears throat> well, uh, some beings from outer space put it there. In other words, they blame it on the Martians. And yet this is what the whole world has adopted as their explanation for where things came from. <clears throat> so let us begin. On day one of creation, God brought the world into existence and it was invisible and unfinished, formless and void and covered with darkness. In other words, on that first day, he made matter. For the first time, something existed besides himself, but it was unfinished. We don't know, we don't know exactly what it looked like, what it was made of. It was just substance. It was matter, but it was formless and void. It was covered in darkness. It could not be seen. And it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So the Spirit of God was hovering over this newly formed mass that God had created. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. We see in these first few verses the reality of the Holy Trinity. The Father speaks. The Holy Spirit hovers. And the Son, in response to the Father, creates. When God the Father said, let there be light, the Son, the Word of God, the eternal Logos of God, 
created the light. And the Holy Spirit hovered. Now the Holy Fathers of the Church teach that on the first day In addition to creating the world and illuminating it with light, God also created the angelic world, the invisible world. And this is suggested and supported by certain verses in Holy Scripture, in the Old Testament especially, that are not provided in Genesis, but are provided later on in, in, the, in the Holy Scriptures. So it is the general consensus of the fathers of the church that the angels were created also on the first day. So you have mass, you have light, you have the angelic world created on the first day. Now, many of the holy fathers grappled with a problem that is put forward by this narrative. They grappled with the question of the nature of the light which was created on the first day. They all agree that it was something different from the sun and the moon and the stars that were created on the fourth day. In other words, we'll get to the fourth day later, but... On the first day, God said, let there be light, and there was light. But on the fourth day, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. <clears throat> now, many, many modern Christians <clears throat> have confused, <coughs> me, have confused these two sources of light. Or have suggested that it was, well, a mistake in the text. Or that, you know, it really doesn't matter. Light is light, light is light. You know, what, what difference does it make? What kind of light was on the first day? What kind of light was on the fourth day? It's all the same. But the Holy Fathers of the Church did not look at it this way at all. It is clear from the Patristic record that the Holy Church took this question very seriously and took the meaning of the text literally. Basil the Great Gregory the Theologian, Ephraim the Syrian, the Blessed Augustine, all recorded their thoughts on this question. The what was the nature of this first created light, the light on the first day? And I'm not going to get into all the different ideas about that, but the point I'm making is that the Holy Fathers understood that it was a different light than what was created on the fourth day. And they, they have some different ideas about what that light is. But it's not the same light as on the fourth day. And this shows you how literally and how seriously the fathers of the church took this Genesis narrative. They also state that the first day was a 24-hour period. Even though the sun and the moon had not yet been created. Think about that. This was a 24-hour period, even though the sun and the moon had not yet been created. 
try to wrap your mind around that concept. But it is true. On the first day of creation, therefore, to sum it up, and I'm going to end my sermon with today with the first day of creation. To sum it up, God created the heavens and the earth, and he made it all visible by light, and he proclaimed it to be good, and he created the invisible angelic world as well. I will conclude this sermon by repeating that the biblical and patristic view of creation is totally incompatible with the theory of evolution. And this will become even more clear as we study the remaining five days of creation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, glory be to Jesus Christ.